You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to share the second half about uh, the life of Gideon. Dan uncorked the first part of it last week in chapter 6, and we'll be looking at chapter 7 and 8 this morning. And uh, this morning I want us to talk about, I, w- I want to talk to you about when our inadequacy, who we are, and we realize that we're inadequate in life, meets God's sufficiency, there is the, the opportunity that you and I experience, that's where faith exists. When our exa- inadequacies meets the sufficiency of God, that's the realm we are to live in, and we call that faith. When my wife was pregnant with our uh, fourth child, uh, Abigail, we had three kids and a little Mazda 323 hatchback, okay? Don't think, you know, SUV hatchback. Think pretty, think smart for two, but a little bit bigger, all right? And I mean, I'll just, I'll just say we did some creative seat buckling to get three car seats in the back of that back seat. So when number four came along, it was uh, pretty obvious we needed another vehicle because our car was inadequate. It could not meet the demands. It was actually more inadequate than I knew. The week we bought a minivan, the engine blew like the day before we were supposed to pick it up. So I was just like, that's just like God to, you know, just give you what you need just when you need it and take care of you. Moses, when God called him, he was minding his own business, tending the sheep, had left Egypt long ago, and God said, Moses... I'm sending you back to Pharaoh, and you're going to lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Moses said, God, I don't talk so well. Some people think he stuttered. I'm not so sure, but what he just is saying, I'm really not a public speaker, God. Like, I'm a quiet dude. I don't want to be doing that. He felt inadequate. When God put his finger on Saul, who became King Saul, and at his coronation was supposed to be crowned in front of everyone. He went and he hid. I don't know that that builds confidence when you're supposed to be king. Like, where is this guy? You know, uh, oh, he's hiding in the closet. You know, that really is not a way to win over a country. But he felt inadequate that he was not able to handle the responsibilities and the things that were in front of him. It is a common thing for you and me to face inadequacy in our life. It is a common human experience. And honestly, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be willing to face it more and more. But we're going to see this morning that it's when we face those inadequacies, when we live in that realm, if you will, that's when God gets to show up and he gets to be our sufficiency. And then that's when we step forward in faith. So turn with me, if you would, to Judges chapter 7 and verse, uh, or chapter 7 and 8. And we're going to look at the second part of of the life of Gideon. Dan talked about uh, this last week and and talked about, you know, Gideon, God comes to him, sends the angel of the Lord, and hail thou, thy mighty man of valor. And Gideon's probably like looking around like, is there somebody else in the room that I didn't know? Who in the world are you talking to? And and he said, you're going to save Israel and, uh, and deliver them from the Midianites. And, and he had to have been looking at himself like, me? I mean, he says, I'm the, the least of my family and my tribe. We're my family's the least of, of all the tribes. And Manasseh's nothing, anything big. He felt inadequate. Well, that same theme continues in chapter 7 and 8. And we're going to see that God really wants to show himself to be sufficient. So look at verse 1 in in Gideon 7, or uh, Judges 7, excuse me. Then the Bible says this in verse 1, Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them. Midian's the bad guys, all right? 
they camped to the north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So Israel's up in the mountains, the enemy's down below, and the enemy has hundreds of thousands of people, I think like 135,000 people camped out down below. And in verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now Gideon was obviously understood some of his own uh, inadequacies. But you know what God just said? Yeah, Gideon, you don't realize you're even more inadequate than you really think you are. <laughs> There's too many people with you. I'm going to have to whittle you down here and, and, and cut you, get some of you guys off the playing field. So here's what God did. He said in verse 3, Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. And so, and then God tells him to go and says, okay, we're going to, you send them down to the stream. And some of these people, I'm going to tell you to send home. And some of them get to stay. And so there's 10,000 people. Keep in mind, there's 130,000 people. They're going against, going against a fight. Those are four to one odds, right? That means if you were a, a Jewish man fighting for the nation of Israel, you got to take out four of the other guys for every one of you. Those are not good odds, right, in anybody's imagination. If you were playing basketball and there are four guys, let's say, I know there's five, let's say there's four on the other team and there's only one of you, I'm pretty sure your chances of winning are pretty slim, right? Not going to happen. And God says, there's, not a, there's too many of you guys. And so everybody who's scared, nervous, afraid, frightened, go home. Two-thirds of them just walk out the door. Now you're the general and you're thinking, God, what are you doing to me? Like, you're killing me. You're sending all my troops home. There's only 10,000. And God says, yeah, there's still just way too many. They're outnumbered 13 to 1 at this point. And so God sends them down to the river and he says, hey, look, pay attention to how everybody gets a drink of water. And the guys that kind of dip their hands in the water you know, those that kneel and those that kind of lap up the water. You keep them, everybody else go home. There were only 300 people who did that. So Gideon said, you, 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 you guys all go home. And these, these were people who were not afraid. They were up for a fight. They knew the odds. They were courageous, faithful, valiant men. But God said, no, nope, you're still too many. I got to whittle you down even more, 300 you see, God wanted Gideon and all of Israel to realize how inadequate they really were. He wanted them to be in a spot where they would be so inadequate that they would have to then ultimately depend on God himself so that they would see the sufficiency, the sufficiencies of God. Now, if you weren't here last week and missed some of the backstory of Gideon, uh, a couple of pieces that you need to, to understand to kind of get the whole piece. Uh, this, these Midianites had, been, had conquered and had basically uh, been harassing and terrorizing. Today, we would have classified them as terrorists, pretty much. They were coming and eating all of their food. They were ravaging the land, pillaging. Uh, there was economic hardship and oppression to the degree that when God comes to Gideon, he's just a young man, and he's threshing wheat in this vat uh, that's meant to... to, to uh, 
to squash grapes and, you know, gather the, the juice from the grapes to, to make something. And he's doing it because he's hiding from the enemy. Now, I have never threshed wheat or barley or any of that before. Uh, I don't even know that I've seen it on YouTube. But the whole way that you do it is you, you, you grind it up, if you will, kind of crush it up, and you, you throw it in the air, and the hull of, the, of the, the, the wheat or the barley is lighter. And so when you throw it into the air, you want a somewhat windy day. Not too windy because it blows everything away. And you don't want it calm because it just goes up and comes down. But on a somewhat of a windy day, you throw it in the air and the bad stuff blows away. And all the good stuff just stays right there where you are. So the key is the wind. Well, if you're hiding in a vat, there is no wind. And so it's a horrible strategy. It would take you 10 times as long, and the food would taste 20 times as bad, and it's just horrible. But that's what you do when if you do it out in the open on the top of a hill, and the enemy always comes, and you've worked all summer long, and now comes harvest season, and they steal your food once again. So there is horrible oppression and abuse and all kinds of horrific things that are happening. And Israel is beside themselves. And God comes to Gideon and he says, uh, the angel of the Lord, and, and he says, Hail, you mighty man of valor, and, and, and you're going to deliver Israel. And Gideon's like, well, where is this God? What, where is God? He hasn't even been around. What? Hey, does he even care for us anymore? Like he was with my great, 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 great grandfather and I heard all these amazing stories about parting the Red Sea and sending these plagues and doing all these amazing things, but he cared apparently for my grandparents or my great, great grandparents, but he hasn't been around here lately and he's not doing anything for me. Gideon had an awful lot of confusion in his mind and life. To be honest with you, I think very similar to us at times today. You know, many of you are probably sitting there this morning and you're looking at your life and saying, this stinks. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I signed up for. This is harder than I expected. Why am I having to go through all of this? And you're looking there like, God, don't you care? Like, God, are you not around? Do you not see what's going on? Like, God, what, what is up? Where are you, God? That's exactly what Gideon was asking. Now, Gideon was aware of his inadequacies, but he was confused along the way. And as a result, those inadequacies produced hopelessness. They produced fear. We see them hiding. We see them doing weird things, trying to just somehow to cope and get by. We see brokenness inside. You know, when... When we are face-to-face -face with our inadequacies as people, when we're face-to-face -to, -face to realize that we don't measure up or that we can't quite get it done or that we just are struggling or not what we want to be, it always does something to us. If, if, if we don't, along the way, learn to hope in something that really will give us true hope in a future, then along the way, we begin a slide into hopelessness. We begin a slide into confusion. We begin a slide into doubt. We begin a slide into fear. We begin a slide into anxiety. We begin to, begin to slide down into worry. And we begin to slide into that world because we deep down know that we're inadequate. I don't know if you've seen some of the studies that, uh, that are out about uh, social media. Social media has some good things and it has some really bad things. And, uh, you know, studies have been done and, and people have been talked to that it's often very depressing for some people 
for many people to look on social media. And, and I believe here's why, because when you look at social media, you really are looking at an image of somebody else. Everybody looks perfect, everybody looks to be having a great time, and you're sitting there, why am I stuck at home alone and feeling terrible and look terrible and all of this? And you feel inadequate in those moments that you're not able and you're missing out and you're not doing all of that because you are coming face to face with your own inadequacies. Now the reality is, is those people are as miserable as you. <laughs> but they don't show those pictures on Facebook, you know. They don't show the fight that they just had. You just, they just post, oh, you're so wonderful and you're the best boyfriend or girlfriend or husband and wife I've ever had. And they're not telling you, yeah, we just had a really bad argument and this is my really lame way of trying to, trying to make up for it. Um, that's really what's going on in a lot of those things. And so I want us to realize inadequacies are normal part of life. Dealing with all the emotions and all the junk that's been inside of us, those are, those are realities. But you and I, that is fertile ground for us to meet the living God who is sufficient for us. You see, if all that we had was our failings and our failures, I don't care if you made a mess with your job and you lost a million dollars for your company or if you... You, you did something really stupid and it made a mess in your relationship or you, 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 you crashed your car, you, you, you messed around at school and didn't do well. We all will face all of those. Or along the way, you've done your dead level best and realize your dead level best is just not good enough to what you wanted. We will come face to face with those, but it's in those moments that the sufficiency of God has the opportunity to show up. So the rest of the story is after God whittles Gideon's people down to 300, I'm really not sure I would volunteer for that job. Yeah, I'll lead 300 guys into battle against you know, 130,000. I appreciate our Green Berets and Navy SEALs and all those, but those are really steep odds, even for those guys, right? And so God's strategy, and this is even more brilliant, God's strategy is like, okay, Gideon, I want you to take the guys, and every guy, I want you to give a, a horn, a ram's horn to blow, okay? And on the other hand, I want you to carry a, a, like a torch, a flame, and you're going to have a, like a ceramic pot over it, okay? Now think about this. You're going into battle, and the only two things that you've got, and your hands are busy holding a horn and holding a torch. And here's what we're going to do, guys. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. We're going to surround the enemy <laughs> with this, okay? And when I give the signal, everybody watch. Watch this. This is going to be great. And I blow my horn, and I'm going to break my clay pot and show the light. You're going to blow your horn, and, break the, you're, and you're going to break your clay pot, and their light's going to shine, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to win. Now, how would you like to be those 300 guys? Like, seriously? Who made you general? <laughs> like, did you, like did, did you go to West Point? What did, what, who was your professor of military strategy? And... Again, we're dealing with a God who knows all and does all in amazing things. That's the strategy. So Gideon at this point is still feeling a little nervous. God along the way has had to just bolster him. Hey, you're going to do this. I'm going to do this. I've already given them into your hand. It's a done deal. So God, just before that night, just before that battle happens, God says, okay, Gideon, I'm going to send you down into the, to the army, okay, or into the camp. And he says, Gideon, here, look at verse 9, he says this. He says, that same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, 
Go down from the hill and the mountains, for I have given it into your hand. Already done, Gideon. It's done. But if you're afraid to go down to the camp, uh, go, if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your, your servant. And so they go down. The two of them go down to the camp, and they sneak in and slink, and somehow they overhear a conversation between these two guys. And this one guy says, man, I had a crazy dream last night. I had this dream, because keep in mind, Israel's camped above them, and Midianites know this. And he says, in this dream, this big barley cake rolls down this hill, and, it, and it's so big, and it's rolling fast, and it comes, and it hits my tent. It flips the tent upside down, and the tent just goes flattened on the ground. And I want you to notice how they interpret the dream. Look what the Bible says in verse 14. His, this is his friend. His friend says this. His comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. This is the enemy. The enemy said, we're done. God has already given the victory to Israel. They're having this private conversation in the dark, and they don't know that Gideon and his, his man Pura is listening. So they're close. They're right there. And they hear and see the terror that's happening in their midst. And God gives Gideon an assurance of his sufficiency. When you and I are in the middle of realizing our, our inadequacies, our failings, our insecurities, our messes in our life, those are the times where God says, Hey gang, if you're willing to trust me, if you're willing to trust me with all you've got, I will be sufficient for what you need, but you've got to trust me. The sufficiency, it is amazing, Gary, the sufficiency of God is what God is trying to drill into Gideon's heart and Israel's heart. You see, the problem is this. The reason they were trashed by the enemy is because they were disobeying God and they were following idols. They weren't trusting God. They weren't living a life of faith. Instead, they were living a life that they were put faithless toward God and putting their God and their faith in something else that couldn't help them or take care of them whatsoever. And if you read the story of Gideon carefully, 6, 7, and 8, God is teaching Gideon and Israel all along the way specific things. You see, the people were wondering, God, do you even care anymore? Do you hear? Do you know what's going on? And so God sends an angel of the Lord. And when that angel comes and meets with Gideon at that first point, and Gideon makes a dinner for him and, and provides for him, and, and God really reveals his power there. You know what God was trying to tell Gideon? He was trying to say, Gideon, I do hear. God didn't bother to answer those questions very specifically. He just demonstrated his answers. Gideon, I do hear. I'm here right now. And I'm present. I'm not distant. I'm not far away. In fact, the problem was that they were sinning and they had given themselves over to the enemy. You see, when you and I are struggling in those realities of life, we need to realize that even though it may seem like God is distant, He really isn't. That He's a God who is present. He's a God who hears. He's a God who is a God of peace. Gideon makes a sacrifice and, and, and builds an altar there and, and, and says, God is peace. That he was experiencing that, that peace and that relationship with God in his heart and in his life. And then God tells Gideon the next step. He said, Gideon, I want you to go take down the, the idol Baal. And so he tears down those idols. 
and he sacrifices the oxen. It would have been a great cost to his family. And he worships God. And you know what God was teaching him there? Gideon, I'm not only present and I not only care, but Gideon, I'm a holy God. Israel, you can't come to me on your terms. You got to come to me on my terms. You can't play games with me. You can't go out and follow other idols and expect me to take care of you. I told you that I'm a one God and you're not supposed to have any other gods before me and you're supposed to follow me and me alone. I'm to be the priority, the, the singular focus of your life. And God was teaching Gideon that, that he was a holy God. You know what God was teaching them? He was teaching them his sufficiency. He was teaching them that, guys, when you run into whatever you're going on in your life, that I'm enough. You see, their real problem wasn't that they were inadequate, that they were weak, that they were whatever they were struggling with and all of that stuff. The real problem is they didn't know God and who he was and all of his sufficiency. And so God was having to demonstrate that to them. God, Israel and Gideon, I'm here, I'm present, I care, but I'm a holy God. That sin in your life has come between you and me and I can't bless you. I can't. God is such a holy God that he can never condone it, never encourage it, never allow it. And you and I, were it not for the forgiveness that we receive with Jesus by faith, we would be hopeless. We would be stuck with all of our failings, stuck with all of our sin, and stuck with way more that just maybe we're not as smart as we want to be or good as we want to be or whatever, but we would also be just outright sinful people before holy God without any hope and future. So he's teaching them that he cared, teaching them that he loved, teaching them that he was present, teaching them that he was holy. And then he sends Gideon down into the other camp. Listen. And you know what he was teaching Gideon and Israel then? That he is a sovereign God. You see, only God could somehow convince Israel that they needed to step forward, but at the same time convince the enemy through some crazy dream that they were done for. And God was saying, Gideon, I'm ruling this world. I'm in, I'm in charge, Gideon. Look, this, this army before you is nothing. I'm a sovereign God. I'm a, I'm a powerful God. That's what he was teaching him when he said, I want you to be whittled down to 300, that I'm an all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign Lord that rules this universe. Gideon, I am the God that you should be turning and you should be trusting. Why in the world would you and Israel follow other gods? You see, guys, God's looking at us the same way as he was Gideon. We're no different. We struggle with all of our inadequacies and all of our failings. And we, along the way, begin to turn our back on a holy God. And we allow ourselves to go and do things that we know deep down that we shouldn't. And all of the sin and all of that. And God is putting his hand in the air saying, hey, guys, I'm over here. I'm the one that loves you. I've not turned my back on you. What happens is a lot of people think, so I'm not messing with God. I mean, what has God ever done for me? Look at what I've got to deal with in life. And that's what Gideon was wondering. And that's what much of Israel was wondering. But what they didn't realize, what they missed was their own sin, their own disobedience before a holy God. And so God wanted to show himself strong in their life, just like he wants to show himself strong in your life. But that issue of sin had to be dealt with. They also had to know that God was not just a loving God who would care for them, who was in charge of the world around them, but they had to come to God on God's terms, not on their own terms.
mistake that many of us make, and probably all of us at one time or another make it, and some of us get stuck there a lot, is but we try to make God, we try to come to God on our terms. And God says you can't do that. You can't do it. We learn it as kids. Sometimes we get away with it with mom or dad, or we manipulate, or the system, or the teacher, or the coach. And God's like, yeah, I'm not those people. I'm all-knowing. I'm holy. I'm an awesome God. You're not getting away with anything, dude. You've got to come to me on my terms. And the terms that God has set for us is His Son, Jesus Christ, who died to pay for our sins so that God could show His love to us when we trust Him as our, our Lord and our Savior. See, when, when we finally come to that spot and we admit our inadequacies and we meet the sufficiency, we see the sufficiency of God, that's when faith comes in. See, that's, uh, let me say, here's another way that, that I would say I would define faith for us this morning is, is faith is dependency and action. That's what we see in the story of Gideon. Gideon knew when he took 300 people into battle, they had no choice but to be just simply dependent on God. That dependency on God that doesn't stay paralyzed and in fear, but actually moves forward in action, dependency in something bigger, that someone bigger being God, in action is what we call faith. We often make a mistake of treating faith as primarily something that's in our brain, something that we think about, something that we believe. And yes, it does involve that. But faith in Scripture is always actionable. It's always demonstrated. God didn't go to Gideon and say, you know, Gideon, I want you to call your 300 buddies together and have a debate. Do you think I'm big enough to beat this army? No. He didn't have them stick their hand in the air. Okay, everybody in favor thinks that God is strong enough to do that. Say, aye, aye, any opposed? No, no. He didn't do that. That's not faith. Well, that's what I believe. Well, yeah, but he said, no, your faith is going to be in action. You're going to get out there and get eyeball to eyeball the enemy and surround them. And by the way, the, gent, the, the captains of the armies were the one that blew the horn. So you hear 300 horns go off. You literally think there's like 500,000 people about to descend on you. And it scared them. And the lights come and the smashing of the jars. And the enemy began fighting against each other. They were just apparently so nerved up and so juiced up and amped up. I don't know if they were... Uh, you know, if they've been drinking that night or whatever, but God just threw them into mess that most of them killed each other and Israel didn't need to fight at all for, for the vast majority of the people. But God said, Gideon, you're going to have to take a step of faith. Your dependency upon me is going to have to be in action. You're going to have to move forward and step forward. What God was trying to do here, guys, with Israel was they were not living a life of saving faith that then is lived out in a sustaining faith. They were doing life themselves, and God was showing Himself strong, showing that they needed to turn to Him, trust Him to be their one true God, live their life in full, complete abandonment to Him as the one who would take care of them, guide them, that they could trust completely with everything. And He was demonstrating that to them. And guess what? He's doing the same thing to you and to me today as well. You see, God in heaven, guys, loves us. And we often in our lives feel like God's not anywhere around us. Why is my life such a mess? Why is this so hard? This is not what I wanted. What is going on? And God's like, it's not me. 
I want you to know me. I want to do some things in your life. But truth of the matter is, is you're stuck in your inadequacies because you're trying to become adequate yourself. You're trying to solve it yourself. You're, when you and I be, realize that we're inadequate, it will always create dependency. Always. We're going to become dependent on something. We will, we will medicate somehow. We will go to something to solve that problem in our heart and our mind. We will do something. It will create dependency in some way, shape, or form. But God says, none of that stuff will help you. won't do a thing for you. Only I can do that. Only I can. And only I have demonstrated my profound love for you that sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. In a minute when we baptize Adam and Sky, this baptism is, is a picture of the salvation that God has sent for us. It's a picture that we need a complete makeover in, in every way in our life. As, as they go under the water, we baptize because Jesus told us to. He said we're to go and, and help people make disciples. In other words, help them be followers of Jesus. And those who do take that step of faith, that actionable obedience, they are to be baptized, immersed under water. And as a whole type, uh, hold, Gary, so he called my name, so that threw me off. <laughs> So is it, yeah, hold on, Gary. You are my biggest fan, Gary, and I love you, but that totally threw me off, so I'm usually pretty good. So when, when somebody goes under the water, it's a picture of them dying their entire self to sin. And it's a picture of the change that God brings into their life. It's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. When they come up out of the water, it's a picture of that new life. This water doesn't save anybody. It just demonstrates what already has happened on the inside. And it's a picture of that incredible salvation. So as we live our life, guys, this is not a, our first step of faith is when we surrender in our heart, asking Jesus to be Lord of our life, saying, God, you are in charge. You are now my boss. I know that my sin has separated me from you. I know that I don't deserve forgiveness and love and all of that, but I trust you to forgive me and to save me. At that moment, we are born again. At that moment, we become adopted as a child of God, and God forgives us, and we have freedom. God makes us new, and he does all kinds of things in our life. And then he, Jesus tells us to be an outward testimony of that, to be baptized in obedience to him in those things. So this morning, as we think about that kind of salvation, that's what our faith really is focused upon. It's on God is the one who's sufficient to overcome our sin, to overcome all of that. But our whole life after that is lived out with He is sufficient for everything in our heart. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you're feeling inadequate in areas of your life, I want to challenge you. Where is God trying to show up in your life and be sufficient for you. We look at those and they are threatening to us and they're scary and they're challenging and all of that. And the reality is, as God says, they're an opportunity for you to step forward in your faith, to trust me even in this area as well. 
The last thing I'm going to share before we, we have, I bring our team up to help us think about these things is just after this, hold on. I remember when you got baptized. I was there. We did it. You did it. <laughs> the last thing I want to share is after the battle is won and God vanquishes the enemy, the people wanted to make Gideon king. And Gideon said, no, I'm not going to be your king. And you can read it in chapter 8. and You can talk about it in your life groups this week. But Gideon then says, hey, but I got an idea. Have everybody give me the gold earring from the enemies that they killed. The Ishmaelites, apparently all of them wore gold, a gold earring. I don't know if it's in the left ear or the right ear or whatever. And they're like, okay, that seems reasonable. So he collected 170 shekels. You know how much gold that is? That's 40 pounds of gold. And he makes a golden ephod, which an ephod was a, a religious, a spiritual garment that the priest wore. And it was something that the priest wore whenever they, he was trying to seek God's face and try to get guidance and, and all of that. And the Bible says in chapter 8 that Gideon, it became that golden ephod, and I don't know if they wore it or not. I can't imagine wearing a 40-pound piece of clothing on top of everything else or if they just set it up as a statue, that it was a snare to Gideon and his family. He said all of Israel began to whore after it. It became an idol to them. They still didn't get that God was trustworthy and that they could trust Him invisibly in their life. And they wanted something tangible in their midst. And they stepped back into that mess. It was a little better in that they didn't at least have Baals and these other gods. And they thought it was a good thing, but it was still a, a bad thing. So my, my caution to you is this. After you and I, as we take these major steps of faith in our lives, are kind of like cresting a hill and we get on top of a mountaintop and God shows up and does big things in our life and we just, we excited and we high five and fist bumps. We need to be careful because often on the back end of that, complacency kicks in and we get sucker punched. We see it in the life of Elijah. We see it here with Gideon. So I'm going to challenge you. Many of you have walked those journeys of faith and experienced some of those amazing things and experienced God's sufficiency in the middle of your inadequacies. But I want you to be careful how often we put it into neutral and we kind of coast and we think we've arrived and we get sucker punched because we become complacent. So be careful that in the middle of your dependency that you don't slide back into complacency. So I'm going to pray and ask our team to come up and I'm going to lead us in a time, a response time for you and me to, to think about what is God speaking into your heart this morning? Where have you felt inadequate? Where have you felt overwhelmed? Maybe paralyzed? And where is God trying to show up in your life? Is it painful? Probably. Is it fun? Probably not. What is God doing? Maybe you're like Gideon and you've thought, you know, I really don't know God. I've been religious. I kind of believe in God, but God practically hasn't really done me a whole lot of good. And maybe you're wondering if why in the world is He's ignoring you. And if that's where you are, you're probably not at a point where you're ready to take a step forward and say, wow, God, I really want to be all in and I want you to be my God. My challenge to you would be this. Are you willing this morning to say, God, maybe... Maybe there is more of the problem that's me. 
And God, I'm going to be honest with you. Would you show me that? If the fact that I don't see you doing much in my life and anything good, maybe that actually says more about me than it does you. And I want to challenge you to ask God to show you that. And I want you to pay attention to what He answers today and tomorrow and the next two or three weeks to see what God answers. Maybe you've fallen into that complacency. I don't know. But whatever God has spoken into your heart, challenge you. After I pray, our team's going to lead us in a song. It's your time to just respond privately to you and God, to just think through that and pray through that and make the commitments that you need to make. So won't you stand and pray with me, and we'll sing after that. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for loving us, caring for us. Thank you that you are sufficient, that Jesus, your Son, is sufficient to cover all of our sins. And out of that relationship that we gain with you, you're sufficient to take care of us in every battle, in every difficulty, in everything we face. God, forgive us when we don't step in faith. Forgive us when we get crippled and paralyzed in fear and worry and doubt and confusion and anxiety. Lord, help us to walk simply and humbly before you, trusting you at every turn, at every step, big and little. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.